What's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode of Game Devs Quest. I am one of your hosts, Taylor, joined by a couple awesome guests with us. We got our regular Rhett is awesome over there. And today we're joined by yeah. special guest, Ote. Yeah. We're stoked to have you, dude. Hello. Yeah. Welcome, dude. How you blah, doing? Blah, blah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We're really stoked to have Ote on. Um you guys have heard us mention him in the podcast before, and he's around the Discord. Um, really excited this week because he's launching a game that he's been working on for a really long time. So I'm excited to get in, ask ask about his game dev journey, and uh, yeah, talk about your game. So uh, real quick, Ote, do you want to talk about just a little brief synopsis of the game you've been working on and, and what your plan is for you know the next couple weeks or so? Yeah, uh, the game itself, I don't even know where to start with talking about it. <laughs> What's it called? Um, yeah, there you go. It's called Realm of the Tempest. That's a great, that's a great starting point. Thank you, Red. <laughs> uh, but it, it's an RPG, I guess. But whenever you kind of think of a game by its genre, you're kind of stuck to the genre a little bit. So I, I don't know if I even really think of it as an RPG or even think of it as a game. It's kind of just this passion project that has been an excellent creative outlet for me since around 2011. Nice. Um, and I've grown so much in that, in that time. And I, if, if, if you guys have played Diablo two, I want to draw a little analogy. Diablo two is like a, the premise is you click monsters, they die and you gain EXP. Right, so it's a really simple premise, and that's like the idea for the RPG. But if you ever got like really into Diablo 2, the people at the top that were really like devoted to that game, they were all botting, which wasn't a built in part of the game. But if you accepted it as a mechanic, then Diablo 2 really wasn't an RPG. It starts out as an RPG, but then after you create your first character, then you make your next one and you automate the first one. So then you start managing a team. And soon enough, you have like eight different characters getting all of your loot, and then you have like 10 different characters for PvP. And you're kind of just like building a little empire while you're exploiting the economy and trading and doing all this other stuff on third-party sites. So uh, a lot of how I wanted my game to grow was similarly looking into some of those unconventional rejected mechanics from games that were like the third party stuff that cleared away the tedious, uh, monotonous part of games and added some extra layers to it. So my game has a, a turbo button built into it that'll automatically attack and there's a health bar, so you, you know, if the health bar hits zero, you die, uh, which is typical. But once you have that left trigger to automate the game with turbo, 
then the health bar becomes like a fuel bar for how much turbo you have before you die. So you can hold that trigger as long as you have some health to afford using it. So it shifts the mechanic a lot. Instead of playing it like an RPG, you're kind of playing it as something else a little bit. Like whenever I play Tetris Attack, it's a puzzle game where you're just like shifting around blocks and matching them. And part of playing Tetris Attack in versus mode is you hit the bumpers to add blocks to the game. It's like a time mechanic. You want more blocks to solve so that you can drop more combos on the other player. So that time control is like adding to your problem so that you can cause problems for the other opponent. And that's how it feels whenever you play Realm of the Tempest is you have that top control to shift time forward, to put more stress on your character, but also to attack with. Dude. <laughs> anyway, that's, uh, that's some of the, uh, like, that. that's kind of hard why it's, that's why it's kind of hard to throw out the yeah. synopsis is because yeah. there's that image that we have of games based on their genre and what it would involve, but then it kind what I've been exploring for years is transcending those boundaries a little bit. Yeah. Well, I think part of that probably is because it, it's a passion project for you and you're not necessarily trying to fit some certain mold, you know, and especially for indie devs. It's yeah. like, do you, I don't know. A lot of us, I think are just doing this because we want to, not because we want to make like a bunch of money off of it. Um, and so, which is, I think what makes it, the most interesting to play indie games because you're not just like rehashing the same old stuff. Um, I really liked, and by the way, you speak very eloquent, eloquently. So <laughs> I, Thank you. I was really reminded of the videos I watched uh, for you and your, the class that you're, you're teaching uh, with like color theory. Oh yeah. The curriculum Yeah, I just work, sat yeah. there while you're first talking like, Whoa, like just soaking this in like this is cool man like i've never thought of diablo 2 like that so that's really a fun take on it um and i one of our best friends growing up his name's lee yeah uh <laughs> i was gonna say this yeah he played diablo 2 like religiously and as soon as you said the stuff you said about it i was like oh my god that's exactly what lee does he's just like you know awesome <laughs> so i bet you he's still He's still out there farming. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> I would be too, but my IP somehow got banned and I don't even know how because I wasn't playing. I was just logging in every three months for about a year to keep my characters alive. I had a huge amount of characters all above level 90 Dang. and like three of them were 99 <laughs> and uh, I just got Weird. banned somehow. I don't know. It's because you're botting, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't botting at the time. Maybe they did it retroactively. Yeah. But yeah, Diablo has like almost an RTS build order to it. Yeah. Um, if you play hardcore classic ladder, you know, the, the ladder resets every six months. And the first thing you do is make an enchant sorceress. So an enchant sorceress like throws out enchant, which adds like a thousand fire damage to a level one character. So that's why you make it first. <laughs> and then once you have that botting, then as soon as you make your new character... You start out at level one with a thousand damage. Wow. So you just wipe stuff out. <laughs> so then you make six more characters and the six that you make after that, because there's a maximum of eight per IP address. So you have one for the enchant and then you have six that are just pairs of sorceress and barbarians. 
because a sorceress in hardcore, classic without all of the fancy items, can't sustain itself. So it needs a buddy, which is the barbarian, to cast battle orders and double its life so that it will never die. Hopefully, unless you get a lag spike. Um, so then I, that's how I would do it. I would set up those three pairs and then I would have one slot left on my IP to connect an eighth character. And that's the one that I would play without botting. Dang, dude. That's like wild that, I mean, I guess that game's been out for so long, but. It's been out for so long and thousands of bots are running 24 yeah. seven, right? And there's still items that have what? never dropped. <laughs> Yeah. Like there's still one in a trillion chance to find some circlet and somebody was just like a few points shy of having the perfect amount of whatever on it. <laughs> that is insane. God, I mean, I guess that's what keeps them. The design back. was that yeah. good. Yeah. So you see me and Lee had a big debate about that where the question that we kept coming back to is like, does that, <clears throat> does that add uh, a lot of replayability to the game. Is that why the game's still alive? Or does that t- detract from the game, you know, in the sense that, like, oh, why bother even? I'll never get that far, you know? Yeah. Right. Well, wh- when I think about human beings, and I-, I think that you do need to, like, think about humans for some reason, I think that they're, like, the thing that you need to connect everything to. Uh, and a human being is, like, this instrument of approximation like if you hold a nickel and a quarter at the end of a football field i can't tell the difference not because the universe isn't sending the light to my eyes but because my eyes are approximating the light and then after my eyes approximate the light my brain simplifies so if you get a haircut and my eyes see it my brain might not even notice (laughs) and if if human beings work that way as approximating things You know, how do you feel on a scale of 1 to 10? You never say, oh, it's an irrational value of pi, 3.14, infinitely repeating. Nobody ever does that. They just say like, oh, maybe 3.5 or whatever. So we're always approximating things. And whenever I got really into Diablo 2, my best friend at the time was a guy named Arctic. And he was excellent at just saying, oh, you know, that circlet that's worth like 20,000 forum gold, like hundreds of dollars. I'll just use a cheap five cent Shaco because it's the best hat, you know, just approximate. You won't be that far away. You can still kill people in PVP. <laughs> you can still beat them. And it's even more satisfying when you do beat them because they worked a lot harder on their character and you like outskilled <laughs> them. Uh, that's awesome, dude. So w- would you say Diablo 2 is like, I don't know, one of you, well, obviously probably one of your favorite games. Is it your favorite? And is that the main kind of inspiration for what started you on the path to the game you're making now? Yeah, Diablo 2 has a huge influence on me, and it's definitely one of my favorite games, like top five, especially if you include all of the third-party stuff that you're not supposed (laughs) to have. Um, But what started my work on Realm of the Tempest um, back in 2011, uh, Arctic, who I was just talking about, betrayed me he took all of my forum gold <laughs> after like years of gaming together he just took all of it because he i shared a lot of passwords with him to all my accounts that you know i had 400 mules of items that i just like could never do anything with i was getting <laughs> items so fast so automatically that i didn't know what to do so i would give him all these passwords 
And whenever we would make private games, you know, I put in a password and he kind of learned a pattern and just guessed my uh, forum account. And then he took, I think he gave the password to somebody else for money, for drug money. (laughs) And (laughs) then he just completely bailed on me. (laughs) And I knew that he was a really wild dude. I knew that he was crazy. Uh, But so that happened and then I felt like really lame at that time. I was like, I don't even want to play Diablo anymore. And uh, I also broke up with uh, my girlfriend somewhere around that time also. So I really had nothing. I had lost my best friend. I lost my girlfriend. And then I got my wisdom teeth out. <laughs> so I, I lost four teeth. <laughs> and I was sitting there, uh, you know, on the painkillers uh, in my room. And I suffer from migraines, so I always sit, like, in the dark with, like, maybe one small light on. And I remember sitting with the light in a a weird angle toward the TV with my feet up playing Final Fantasy VII. And it was my first time replaying it since I was a kid. And I thought, I should just devote my life back to game development. Because that's what I always wanted to do, but my parents kind of discouraged it. And every girl that I ever dated discouraged it. Like, everybody was just like, get off the computer, get out of your room kind of thing. That that Nobody ever wanted me to talk about programming, even though I learned a lot in high school from a friend. Um, But at that time, I just had this moment where I was like, I really want to make something like an RPG or something and just enjoy this instead of... Uh, you know, because I had lost so much. I, I had lost what I normally do with my friends and my girlfriend and all that. Dang, man. That's deep. So I really have to thank him. <laughs> like, if he had backstabbed me and take, like, I wouldn't have started. So that's. I, I was kind of so curious, I, I, like, where Arctic is now. Yeah. Like, you know, like, yeah, if there's no any idea. word on, like, what he's doing with his life now. I'm pretty sure he married a stripper. <laughs> Yo, Arctic, if you're listening, let us know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and thank you. Thank you for the betrayal. Oh, dude. So, so you started your game in 20, what year did you say? 2011? 2011. Dang. Yep. I think that's when I first started posting about it. And I still have these (laughs) god-awful pictures, these super pixelated like almost MS Paint looking pictures, except blurry. <laughs> Imagine blurry MS Paint. <laughs> and there was just like four buttons that you could click that said attack and then two blank ones that did nothing and then defend. And you would just like click attack and life would go away from some little sprite on the screen. And it's come a long way since then. Yeah, I bet, dude. I've seen a lot of this yeah. stuff. It looks honestly out of like... It looks legit. Yeah, I was going to say, out of anyone in the Discord, I feel like maybe maybe it's due to the eight years of development, but like it just seems like you have a really full game that has like a lot. It's very immersive in terms of like the environment that you're creating. So, Thank you. Um, you did, you did uh, release a demo, right? Yeah, so the demo's out now, and the game really, the, the foundation for it is, is like full, but... Uh, there's still so much more that I want to do with it. Yeah. Since I've been working on it with the perspective of it being a creative outlet, it is really not something that I plan to complete. Like, why would you complete a hobby? 
you know if you enjoy the hobby you just want to keep going with it yeah so um a game like diablo 2 you hit level 99 and you're done and a lot of final fantasy games it's like you beat the story and it's over uh or you max out the something something and then you don't need it anymore uh but my game i've designed in a way where it's supposed to be friendly to growth and it should always support growth and it should always um it should always like have this uh room for expansion from the developer and be friendly to feature creep that's like what my goal has been so i try to keep my code as clean as possible and friendly to change and i I really think of it as an art whenever i program i try to make it really clean and uh, because i know that i'm going to come back and keep changing things so I, i rewrote all of my code at the beginning of 2018 so all the code that's in the demo was written in the last year and a half wow so I deleted like 60,000 lines of code <laughs> from years of building the game up. And it took me a year and a half to get back to where I was. Wow. So there was a private release of 1.05 that I released on a forum before I went to uh, university. And I took a three-year break. So I didn't develop for three years while I was at school learning math and computer science. I mean, I, I loved math so much that I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to completely focus on this. And, and put game development on hold. And I, uh, now that I know that I love math, I mean, I probably have loved math my whole life, but just didn't know it because I hate arithmetic. I hate, like, the first 15 years of public school is, like, garbage. <laughs> um, yeah. But then after that, it's really fun. So when I talk about, like, growth in video games and, and supporting growth, uh, the system... If you have if you have like items or stats that said plus five percent chance to hit, that would get capped at a hundred. It doesn't make sense to have a hundred and twenty percent chance to hit unless you want that to be like you hit once and twenty percent chance to hit again. Yeah. Right? So so there's there's usually caps in games. And a lot of people who want to perfect uh do like a perfect run on a game kind of like that. Uh, but I, I've never been a fan, so mine's mine's a little bit different. Um, but the math side of things is like it's really eye opening now that I I know the math because I was doing it before without really understanding it. So the accuracy and dodge in my game is a uh, system that uses a multivariable function that takes in the accuracy and the dodge, and if you fix one of those values, then the graph is a double horizontal asymptote curve, which means that it goes from one value at one limit to another value at another. So if your accuracy is really low and their dodge is very high, then the bottom of that asymptote is 20% chance to hit. So you have a minimum of 20% chance. And then the other way around is if your accuracy is really big and theirs is their dodge is really low, then you cap out at a hundred percent chance to hit. And that graph just kind of shifts forward as the two grow. So if the two are equal, it's just an 80% chance to hit. They have that like fixed like point on that curve. And that curve just like grows toward infinity and stretches out horizontally in this interesting way. 
And that's how I've done a lot of things in my game is to have it like friendly to limits and growing so that you're not really working toward a perfect box like you would in uh, Diablo 2. Diablo 2 feels like you, you have a box and you're trying to fill it up with the, as much stats as you can and then you're kind of confined to that, to that boundary. Uh, but I just want to keep on adding content to the game so you could always have more stats and more skills. It's interesting because, like, there is a lot of math in game development, um, but oftentimes it's kind of like what you said, where it, it there's not, like, a lot of thought put into it. It's just kind of like you generate a random number and see what happens kind of a thing. Um, I wonder, like, was there, before you implemented those features using maybe more well-thought-out math, was there like a pretty different feel to your game um, compared to what it is now based off of that. Like um, part of it, part of what I'm hearing is like your passion for math is like bleeding through into your game because you enjoy it and you love it. Um, and mm. the, I don't know, like sometimes it's a shame because a programmer puts all this time into a particular feature and they make it really elegant, but then the consumer, like the user, the player, doesn't really get to necessarily know about any of that. And so I, I wonder, um, do you have a sense of of how different your game feels because of that? Um, yeah. Okay. I, I, I have a lot to say about this, actually. Cool. Um, <laughs> the, the general feel of my game that I was going for, like when I was working on it at the the first few years, it was like, you know, you kind of have that, I guess is it the word paradigm where when you work on a game, you're kind of building toward a user story. Mm -hmm. So you have that user story of this is what I want the game to be like, and I'm working toward that. So the feel of the game kind of hasn't evolved a whole lot from the user stories that I dreamt up as a kid or as a young adult, rather, I'm sorry. <laughs> But um, the development has changed in a way where everything has become much more refined and parsable from the player's perspective. It's, it's a lot more readable. And I think part of that is the, the perspective that has shifted in uh, how I develop it. But what I really want to talk about when it comes to math and programming and art and all that I have a lot to say, <laughs> so I might go on a, a little bit about yeah, this. do it. <laughs> Whenever people, if I ask you to picture math in your head, a lot of people imagine like 2 plus 2 equals 4 and 7 divided by 3 kind of stuff. But the equal sign is less than 600 years old. <laughs> Thousands of years ago, ancient Greek uh, mathematicians like Euclid proved that there are infinite prime numbers. And he did this in sentences. First by saying like, you know, suppose you have the biggest prime number. No matter what that number is, I can construct a larger prime number. Right. I can prove that there's a bigger one. And 2 plus 2 is arithmetic, which, which most people hate. Everybody hates arithmetic. And the reason why people really like computer science 
uh, over math sometimes is because computers are great at arithmetic and we hate arithmetic. <laughs> so it's, it's a great relationship. <laughs> and part of why, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, like a person who is a, ma- a mathematician does not compute arithmetic for a living. They write yeah. papers and they write proofs. Right. Now, if we can, comp- if we consider how a program looks, it's a list of instructions and when you look at those instructions as as a computer program, they kind of look like the instructions that Euclid put together to prove that there are infinite prime numbers. He said, follow these steps and you'll see that there is a bigger prime number. And that's because like, the reason why they look similar is because they are actually the same thing. There's something called the Curry-Howard isomorphism. Check it out on Wikipedia if you want to. Uh, It formally shows that mathematical proofs and computer programs are the same thing. When people say they like programming but they hate math, what they really mean is they hate arithmetic because writing programs always results in a mathematical proof and vice versa, all proofs can be run on machines. If there's a line to draw between the two, it would not be like a, a split circle into two separate uh, halves. It would be like a split where two circles are actually on top of each other and always have been. Programming is math. Math is programming. And programming is an art. There's a nice quote from Don Knuth, the father of algorithm analysis, that says that a programmer who thinks of themselves as an artist will enjoy what they do and do it better. (laughs) And similarly, there's a Hungarian mathematician named Paul Erdős, who collaborated with tons of mathematicians, wrote hundreds of papers. And when he discovered a proof with his colleagues, he was known for turning to them and saying, now let's find the book proof which meant finding a proof elegant enough to match the book written by God that controls the universe. (laughs) And they would refine and improve their work, and they would enjoy it. That's what they both had in common. A mathematician and a computer scientist, two separate different things, but they were both treating their work like art. If you think about what the point of a song is, the, when, when you make music, the point is not to reach the end of the song. If it was, then the fastest musicians would be the best. I think that's an Alan Watts quote. So the purpose of music is actually the process. You enjoy making the music. You enjoy listening to the music. It's not about getting to the end of the song. And that's that's what it was like for Paul Erdish and for Don Knuth. They treated it like an art. Uh, the proof is not to get to the end and show that there are infinite prime numbers. It's about doing it elegantly and enjoying it. Right. I and that's, that... that's how I started to feel about game development. Yeah, man. I think that that's a, a really good thing for um, really anyone doing anything to ponder um, but especially I feel like game developers, like, I don't know, people come into game development and they think like, how cool would it be if I made a game that was, you know, like this or like a bestseller or, you know, like 
you have all these kind of wild dreams about what things you will uh, have made rather than things you, you know, rather than uh, making, uh, the process of making it. And I think that's part of the reason why uh, it's cool hearing about your your game is because I think you've really like taken that that idea to heart and really thought about it. And it's like, I think about this a lot because I um, was never somebody who felt like I really knew what I wanted to do with my life. And so I just kind of like, I don't know, just floated a lot. Um, Mm. And I didn't find joy in whatever I was doing at the time. So I was always like waiting for the future to come to me. And I think that's some, like one of the regrets I have with my life is just the fact that I did that. I wasn't enjoying the process of really much of anything. Like, you know, when I first started playing the drums, it wasn't that I really enjoyed sucking. (laughs) Like, I didn't enjoy playing that much because I sucked, you know? But I, like, wanted to just, like, be good. I, You know, like, I waited for being good at, at the drums and not really, like, taking in what was happening at the time, necessarily. And I don't know. It's something for people to think about. Like, especially if you choose a hobby that's as extensive as programming or game development, like if you're really going to do it, that's a huge commitment. So are you in it for the end result or are you in it for kind of the enrichment that you get out of doing it like every step of the way, you know? So, and I like how you like tied that all together with uh, (laughs) quotes from different mathematicians and computer scientists and stuff. That's why I like listening to you talk, man, because you, I feel like I'm listening to an encyclopedia or something sometimes. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That was like the whole talk about the Curry-Howard isomorphism. That just like all blew my mind. Like, I love that. I feel like it's so obvious, but the way that you the way that you articulated it, it's just that was so great. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I was thinking back to – because I – I minored in math in college and nowadays like I don't remember much of anything, but I remember at the time, um, once I got through like calculus and stuff, um, the next several courses were all just about proving things. And it's like, um, uh, kind of like proving that, it, like you were saying, like there are infinite primes or there are infinite numbers, you know, it's like, well, I, you start with that assumption. Let's start with the biggest number okay, we'll take that biggest number and add one to it. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. what? Oh, my God, there are infinite numbers. Like, it's, I don't know. When you start, like... See, it's funny. Yeah, go ahead, Rhett. Uh, so sorry. I was just going to say, it's funny because, like, I was one of these guys, like, before you are talking, you know, it's like, people hate math, but they don't actually hate math. They just hate arithmetic. And I think that that, always, that almost, like, describes me perfectly because it's like, I loved doing proofs, but... I just hated my math class, you know, like, uh, I, and now just like listening to this talk about it, it's like, oh, right. Math is fun. <laughs> like there's all these overlying <laughs> principles that like, you just made it sound so freaking fun. I don't know. It's so badass, actually. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like, um, you know, when you watch a movie at times, like, 
I don't know. For me, this is the thing. It's like when I get into the thick of it and I'm trying to do something and I'm struggling with it, I can't think of the bigger picture about it. I just think like I'm pissed off that I can't figure this thing out. But then you like watch something where it's like, um, I don't know, like a beautiful mind or something. And it's like highlighting this genius and he's going through it and he's like, connecting all these dots from like everywhere together and it just feels so like profound you know it's like i don't don't know where i'm going with that but that's like the same type of thing i'm feeling right now (laughs) nice yeah the the process is definitely really important especially with game development for me like the the first year when i sat down i mean really if you want to describe what game development is it's just me pushing buttons on my com- my <laughs> keyboard and then moving my mouse around and then getting a result on the screen and that first year i looked at the result and i saw a crummy game <laughs> <laughs> but after putting like thousands of hours into the same routine of pushing those buttons and moving that mouse, it was exactly like what happens if you write in a diary. The pages start to reflect yourself, your thoughts, and who you are. And and when I look at my game, I really do see a huge part of who I am. And that's why whenever I write code, I really don't want to have a sloppy rushed implementation for something. I certainly do have some sloppy code and I want to improve it. I want to improve it a lot. And the reason why I want to improve it is probably because I see it as a part of myself. I see it as like a reflection in many ways. Looking at your game on itch, the way that you described it there, I thought was, was pretty awesome. You just summarized it basically, but if you don't mind, I'm going to read it. (laughs) Yeah. So On the uh, itch page, it says, I love making games. This project is the result of long conversations between me and a machine. And now I'd like to share that with you. What started out as a desultory exploration of game game development now reflects a great deal of who I am and what I love to do. And yeah, dude, I think everything you're saying, like that really captures it. And I love what you said about just like conversation between you and a machine. (laughs) Yeah. 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 See, it's funny because I'm looking at the uh, gamedev.net page for it, and it's worded slightly different, right? He says, to me, this is an intimate conversation between me and my computer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. I think I put my compiler (laughs) on that one, right? Did I say compiler? Oh, you're right. I'm so sorry. I'm leaning way far away. Yep. Between me and my compiler that has been going on for five years. The only reason I pour my heart into my work is because it starts to reflect myself, which is the only sense of security I have ever had. <laughs> which, you know, That's I a little like bit I of a darker one. That's when... why I didn't do it on the yeah. itch page. <laughs> yeah. uh, dude. The only sense of security I've ever had. I want to get a little bit into some of the, the technical side because I think you use UDK, right? Yeah, old school. Old school. 2011 Unity or uh, Unreal 4 weren't really yeah. big engines yet. Unreal 4 wasn't out. Right. So, uh, so UDK is the predecessor to Unreal Engine, 
or Unreal Four. Right, Unreal Four. Okay. Um, are you planning on kind of sticking with that? Like, it sounds like you're gonna be working on the game for a, a while. Um, is there any plan to change to anything else or? Yeah, I think that porting it to anything else would be extremely time-consuming. A lot of people jump to suggesting that, and I really would like to write C++ instead of Unreal Script because, you know, UDK has its own language that's a C-derived language, but uh, it does feel like it's missing an arm or a leg in a lot of ways. So I have to work around things. Um, But the thing is that UDK has like, when you have shaders or materials, uh, I have all of those materials for how things work set up. And I would need to set those up exactly the same way in Unreal 4. And then I have all of the lights in my levels, all of the static and dynamic lighting, and all of the properties on those things, and all the scaling on every single plant and tree. So you need to copy all of that data over whenever you put the new levels into the new development kit. And once you do all that, there's really no guarantee that a light with the same intensity is going to have the same effect. So maybe if the engine's implemented differently, you might have to scale your brightness down on every single light. And we are talking about hundreds of lights, hundreds of materials, and I... I think my eyes would just like burst <laughs> into flames if I tried to do all of that because the game would grow zero. Yeah. And it would probably take like a year. It took me a year just to rewrite all of the code. Right. Right. So, uh, and also I would have to translate all of the code from Unreal Script to C++, which wouldn't be that hard because I already write in a very C++ way. But, um, yeah, it, it's a ton ton of work to switch from one engine to another totally um is like in terms of support is that are you worried that support for udk might go away or is it already not supported and it just kind of is what it is you mean like documentation and stuff oh i don't know um do you like was it something you had to buy or no, UDK was always free, and it cost, uh, I think, $50 to release your game okay. to make pr- money off uh-huh. of it. And then after the first $50,000, they start taking some cut. Gotcha. So would that still apply to you? Yeah, I, I think it does if I ever did release it for money. Gotcha. Cool. But what I'm planning on doing is... um. As I add content to the game, I'm just going to keep updating it on itch for free. Nice. So I'm kind of going to blur the line between demo and alpha. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I like that. So is it already available on itch right now? Yeah, the demo's out there and there's a there's a YouTube video of me speed running the entire demo with every class in 35 minutes or 36 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> It's kind of cool to watch. It it's it's it really shows how the game has a different feel than just a typical RPG, the way that you can play it that differently and speedrun it like that with the turbo button and everything. It's it's a fun thing to watch. I was I was rewatching it after I recorded it 
And I thought, oh, wow, this is actually more enjoyable to watch than I thought it would be. <laughs> is that the one, the video that is on the itch page? No, I don't think it is, but it is linked in GDQ in the show and tell section. Cool. Okay. Oh, nice. Yeah, I've been yesterday in the last week or so I've been moving, so I haven't been great about keeping up with everything going on, but, um, yeah. How'd the move go? Uh, it went pretty well. We, so we bought our house. Um, we've had the keys for almost two weeks, but, um, just the timing for getting a trailer and stuff was, took a little while. So, uh, we just got in yesterday and, but we'd been slowly moving stuff the last, you know, every day, basically one trip or more to the house. It's surprising cause we were in a, an apartment and it's like, I didn't feel like we had that much stuff. And then I got to like pick everything up and bring it here. It makes me want to get rid of mm. most of it, but yeah, <laughs> dude, I came from 400 square feet to like 11 or 1200 feet house. Yeah. And I filled up the 11 or 100, 1100 square foot house with all my stuff that was in my 400 <laughs> square foot house. I'm like, how is this even possible? <laughs> like, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, Taylor, when you were. Oh, go ahead. When you were mowing your lawn with the new electric mower, was your house just like empty inside? <laughs> Pretty much when I, when I got that. Yeah. That was one of the first things I bought because, like, I get to the neighborhood and, like, everybody else has nice grass and stuff. I'm like, oh, am I going to be the like the only one with really tall, ugly grass. So I went and got that. That was pretty fun though. I'm going to have to mow again today. It, That's pretty yeah. awesome. So home ownership is going to be interesting. Just make sure you drink some water this time. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Rhett's, Rhett's prompting me to tell a story. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to. Jeez, I was just wanted to make yeah. fun. <laughs> I, I basically, the gist of it is yesterday I moved all day and like didn't have a normal day. So I didn't eat a lot and I didn't drink a lot of water. And then I ended up like fainting in the middle of the night, like getting up and I don't know, getting kind of sick. So, and barfing, and barfing. <laughs> so, um, drink water. Kids. I know. Yeah. If you're going to do something that's outside of the normal, like, Make sure you hydrate at the very least and have like plans for food. So anyway. What does it feel like whenever you faint? Honestly, I like I didn't even really knew that know that it happened. I just like fell over, I guess, and my wife like woke up and came came to my side and was like, Taylor, Taylor, are you okay? Um But I it was just like I kinda like woke up and I was like, Oh dang. That was weird. <laughs> you know. <laughs> did you hit your head or anything? I don't think I hit my head. I'm glad I fainted where I did. I fainted in our hallway, which has like nothing in there. But like I went up, I got up at the middle of the night and I grabbed a drink of water. And like we have all this stuff in our kitchen, like all over the floor. And I like, I could have fallen on like a bunch of dishes and, you know, like it could have been really bad. A chef's knife pointed straight right? up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... It was weird. I don't know if I've ever done that, but. Yeah, I've never fainted, but last night I was in my bathroom and I remember just like kind of seeing stars and then Dang. I felt really dizzy 
and I just like grabbed the wall and it slowly. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like my equilibrium back. I think that's kind of like what it is to faint. Just you start. It's like the beginning stages of it. Yeah. But. Yeah. Yeah. I almost, I almost collapsed once from like, I had a severe like blood pressure drop for some reason. And I almost, well, I did collapse. I hit the ground, but I managed to retain consciousness and I like crawled my way back to this chair. And for the next hour, all I could hear in my ears was this like rushing sound. It sounded like I was by a waterfall. Like it was so hard to hear anything. And that sound stuck with me for like maybe an hour to like 90 minutes. Yeah. Wow. That's it weird. Is. Makes you feel fragile for sure. It's like, dude, like, I don't know if I would have fainted and my wife wasn't there, if I would have hit my head and then like threw up there, like I might've just like yeah. drowned in my own vomit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Surprised you didn't, honestly. Yeah. I mean, that's what isn't that what got um, Attila the Hun? Or no, his was a, a bloody nose. He drowned in his own nose blood. Yeah, wow. pretty brutal. But yeah. I've never had a bloody nose. I've never lost consciousness. I'm pretty much the man, dude. I used to nothing bad will happen. To me. I used to like have a fountain of blood come out my nose when I was a kid. Like I used to play baseball and going outside sometimes i'd just be out there and all of a sudden like blood would just start like rushing down my face like because it got so hot and dry i don't know it's crazy but i haven't done that in a long time so that's good well good (laughs) anyways (laughs) yeah back to realm of the tempest or something um well we can trans i can transition from all of that to to game dev I could transition from anything to game development. <laughs> it's a, it's an art, really. <laughs> uh, the human body, like the the way that we think about ourselves, a lot of people just kind of think of themselves as like this individual, this one whole that you like have your control over. You have your control over your hands and your mouth, and you can talk. And but if you really think about it and kind of have that computer science perspective on things. Part of computer science is the idea of having black boxes, right? If you're familiar with what a black box is, it's anything where you have an interface, but you don't know the implementation. Mm. So if you maybe have like a hash table that allows you to store a key and look up a key, then that's your interface, but you don't really know how it's going to store it or how it's going to look it up or whatever. And you don't have access to directly just like, you know, if if there's no method for sorting, uh, then you can't just go in there and sort it. You only have whatever is available to you through the interface of a black box. And if you think about uh, the world and more generally with that perspective in mind, everything is a black box. Your whole body (laughs) is a black box. Think about your stomach. <laughs> if, if you're yeah. hungry, you can't just go in there and turn it off. If you could, you'd just starve and die. You'd be like, oh, I don't want to be hungry. I'll just turn that off. And then you just... But uh, you have a method to interface with your stomach. You just put food in your mouth and you <laughs> swallow it. And what's interesting is the implementation of how that interaction works. Because... When you eat food, uh, you don't really, I mean, what do we know about the way that a stomach 
transmits the information back. If it's if it's a fat, it has this delay for some reason, right? There's like a 15 minute delay before you know that fat has been digested. So if you eat a big meal, then you kind of feel full and then you stop eating. But then 15 minutes later, you feel more full than you did. It's because that fat is kicking in with that delay. Right? So that's kind of, that's a fascinating relationship that you have from your brain to your stomach. And if you think about your hand, if I flip a coin, this is another black box operation. I'm not really flipping the coin. I am sending an electrical impulse to the muscle and then the muscle flips it. And I don't really have complete control over that. Like if I flip a coin and I know exactly how much force I need, I, I calculate it out beforehand. Like, okay, I want, I want it to land on head. So I need to put this much force. You don't have that. You have an interface with a muscle that approximates how much you want to flip the coin. So you have complete control over your thumb. You, you, you feel like you can do it, but you don't really have a, de- the, the result of flipping a coin is completely deterministic, dependent on your thumb, but you can't actually predict the outcome. It's out of your control just a little yeah. bit because you have that interface where it's not exact. Dude. And that's, that's how I think about a lot of things is the human body and computer science. Yeah. <laughs> You're just dropping all these like mind blowing analogies, like this whole episode. Dude. I know this is, <laughs> this is great. This is yeah. great. Uh, but no, that's like, it's, I don't know. It's so true. Like pretty much if you boil programming down to something, it's basically like inputs and outputs. Like you said, like, you ever see those uh, images of those people back in like the 40s, like plugging all the different uh, wires into different, you know, inputs and outputs on the on the big board across the way? Like that's all just yeah. evolved into like this tiny little microcomputer thing that we now like can easily input things because we could see it on a screen, you know. And it's I don't know, it's crazy, but you're right. Like that's literally everything. Like your food analogy is like the definition of what existence is pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> the food analogy is the definition of existence. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what's crazy. Like we were getting pretty philosophical here, but like for me, it's really interesting to like get on a deep level, a deeper understanding of the world in that way. But like, I feel like, you know, there's, it's almost like this bell curve, like, you know, the more you know, like up to a certain point, like you can just kind of accept it. And then if you get even farther past that to like you are, you know, an expert in this thing or um, you're reading a lot of stuff from experts, like I almost feel like the more you know, you know less than ever, you know, because <laughs> it's like. Well, yeah, that's the uh, what. there's a name for this. The curve. um God, I've even tweeted about this before. Really? Maybe that's why I had it and I can't think of the name. Oh, what but... is that curve called? Do you guys know this? I don't. Uh, let me try to okay. get this. But it... Well, the first thing that the comes Dunning up, obviously... The Dunning-Kruger effect. Oh, Dunning-Kruger? Yeah. Yes. Okay. okay. 
Yeah, we talk about that, all, and that's what I thought, but then you were talking about a bell curve, and I didn't know that that was represented by a bell curve. Yeah. I don't think it's Sorry. represented by a bell curve exactly. A bell curve is more like the normal distribution thing, right? True. Yeah, but, true. But yeah, the, the Dunning-Kruger thing is just that you learn that you don't know things. Right. <laughs> Which is true, and I think that's a huge cause of imposter syndrome, but... Mm. Yeah, actually, imposter syndrome is like yeah considered kind of like the opposite of the Dunning-Kruger. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's weird though. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> just killed it. That's fascinating. Fascinating, Rhett. <laughs> oh, well done, sir. <laughs> See, my only takeaway from this whole thing is that uh, all of existence is basically the same all across the board. It's all just like reiterations of itself, no matter what you're looking at. So you're looking at computer science, and then you're looking at eating food, and it's the same. So what else is the same as these things? I think you could look at any system in the universe, and it's just a mirror of any other system. Yeah, well, I think it's because the universe itself like has that same behavior. Like part of Part of this got me thinking about, like, chaos theory and like entropy and stuff where it's like how does matter even exist you know like like i don't know it's yeah i don't have more to say about uh. that but i because <laughs> i don't know a lot about it but dude uh i feel like you'd be interested in are you interested in like astrophysics or space in general ote i'm less interested in physics okay. but well, although you, your thing on light, I mean, I would argue that's physics, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. I I feel like you're just the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You're just like a student of everything, I feel like. and <laughs> I try to be. And so. I, I, I have, if, if you want to talk about like where that comes from. Like how how to like branch out into this way that you kind of feel like I guess the term for it was like a Renaissance man where you <laughs> spread right. yourself out. Um, if someone spends ten years learning to paint and then they try to play guitar, chances are they probably won't be very good at it because it's two very different things to us as human beings, right? Uh, but to the universe, a song is a squiggle that goes into our ears as a sound wave. And a painting is a squiggle for our eyes. It's just different frequencies of light. <laughs> and they're both squiggles of input to the human body. And if you could become good at squiggles, maybe you could be good at both. <laughs> But of course, it would be very, very hard to become good at squiggles. But recognizing that there's some sort of similarity there uh, can really drive you to just aim for making those squiggles. <laughs> it's just a different way of going about yeah. it. Yeah. Learning a different tool set to reach that same end. Um, that was amazing. But also, uh, <laughs> we're getting, I can't believe it, we're, but we're almost at an hour. Um, <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, I was gonna ask you, like, obviously, like one thing we like to ask people who come on is like, what advice you have for people. But um, 
I definitely want to shout out your game. Um, so anyone who's interested, definitely check out uh, Ote's game, Realm of the Tempest. You can find it on itch at ote.itch.io forward slash realm dash of dash the dash tempest. Uh, <laughs> so check that out. But uh, before before we go, do you have, because I don't know, I feel like our conversation has been really interesting. And um, I think it stems from you just being a very passionate guy who likes to learn stuff um and you're really good at orating yeah (laughs) i agree thank you uh do you have any words of advice for somebody who i don't know may just be kind of feeling like their life is mundane and you know like how how does somebody get to a level where they i don't know what i don't know what i'm trying to ask but like how do they yeah. just gain that sense of curiosity that I feel like you have, you know, and to to kind of like add to their creative abilities or whatever it is? Well, I would say that everything is a conversation. If you ever look at what happens with people with split brain personality or split brain, whatever that thing is called, uh, there's experiments where they like put a piece of paper so that you can only have one part of the brain seeing something and and they'll do something like tell one part of the brain to pick up the pink cube and then they'll ask the other part of the brain which is responsible for speech why did you pink pick up the pink cube <laughs> and it'll what's fascinating is that it'll come up with a reason to justify it like oh i was playing minecraft a few weeks ago and there was this mod where they had pink blocks and i guess I picked it up for that reason. And it, if you want to get good at game development, if you want to really like immerse yourself into that, everything is a conversation. Your thoughts, like there's multiple parts of you, the same way you have a relationship with your stomach, you interface th- through your body, your thoughts, everything's a conversation. And whenever I sit in front of my computer, I really do have a conversation with my compiler. I don't run it to get the result sometimes i know that there's like 10 errors and i'm asking the compiler when i run it hey what are my errors and i think of it as that conversation and you get the like these responses and you start to see a reflection of yourself that's really how you grow is having that feedback um i I really like listening to hofstadter talk he's a cognitive scientist who wrote a book called uh Gertel Escher Bach, and he talks about this analogy where if you take a camera and you look and you and you point it at a screen and you see the camera seeing itself over and over, just like you do when you have like Streamlabs streaming your own monitor, that feedback loop, that is the strange loop of consciousness that drives all of us, is just the input and processing the input. And then participating. Just observe, describe, and participate. That's really the key to being good at squiggles. <laughs> Love it, dude. Dude, you had to have had that prepared, right? <laughs> he didn't just make all this stuff up. <laughs> He's just like rolling off the cuff here, but it feels like so articulate. It's ridiculous. Yeah. 
If you want to know where all these speeches come from, it's really because I suffer from migraines so often, I just end up having to lay in bed. And this is kind of like a thing that I've like had with myself. I've had this conversation because I can't really do anything else when I'm photophobic and light really hurts my eyes. I just lay down and I go through and I, I think about squiggles and I think about all of these relationships between, between things. So I kind of have practiced speeches like this internally for a very long time just because of my, my health condition. Wow. Dang, man. It's like, well, that's great. Man. Yeah. I mean, not great that you get migraines. Jeez, I'm a jerk. I mean, <laughs> great that you have made a bad thing into a useful thing. Yeah. Well, I think like, that's really cool because a lot of we all just get stuck in the grind. It's like we have the most technology we've ever had and we're the most connected we've ever been. Yet we're all like, mm. as, you know, busier than ever. We don't take the time to sit down and just think. Um, so like that's some words of wisdom. Yeah, man. Cool. You know, um, I don't think I'm alone when saying you're welcome back uh, to the show anytime. I've had a great uh, time. I really love talking with you, man. This was a lot of fun. Same. Yeah. And uh, if there's anything we can do to help you out with uh, spreading the word with your game, other than just having you on the podcast or whatever, let us know. Happy to support our yeah. our friends in the community. So, um, I appreciate that so much, you guys. Yeah, yeah. And if there's any like links or social media links that you want to shout out, other you know, we got that itch page, but I don't know if you want to share out your Twitter or anything like that, whatever you want. Yeah, there's a bunch of links in the YouTube uh, video for the demo. So there's like a link to the itch. There's a link to my Twitter. There's a link to the Bramblegate Studios Twitter, which is where I'll be posting specifically about the game. And then uh, I think there might be a few other links in there. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Really enjoyed being here, guys. Link to that uh, YouTube page in the show notes and uh, get it all taken care of. All right. And I think if that's it, everybody else can find our links uh, at gamedevsquest.com. And uh, that's a link to the Discord, link to our Twitter, all that good stuff. Uh, go there and find what you need. And uh, I think that does it. For this. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Otail. Appreciate you being on with us. Thanks, man. Thank you, guys. Cute at me. Yeah. <clears throat> <laughs>